Listening to a podcast that strives to bring the church world and the art world closer together. My name is Matt Anderson. I'm so glad you can join us for this episode. Just a reminder that uh, whatever platform you're listening on, a five star rating and review is always appreciated. I think creative people need to regularly ask themselves what am I making here? Now, the obvious answer, of course, is it's a painting or a sculpture or a piece of furniture or a book or something like that. We're we're constructing, we're using our hands to make something. That's not really the question I'm alluding to today. I mean, big picture. What are we making from this life? What is our goal? What is our motivation for what we are doing? What are we trying to do with our creative life? Now, there are different aspirations, I think, that come with that. Uh, there, are, there are some of us who are very happy to do our regular job, our nine to five, but then on the side, do some creating and, and making, um, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, there are others who really want to try to have an entire professional life that centers on creativity. Um, in other words, they want to make their living by doing art. And that's a, a great aspiration to have, um, but it is very difficult to achieve that. I, I know that's that's my aspiration. That's what I really long to do. Um, I would love to say there's a thus saith the Lord behind that, but uh, I can't quite say that yet. The percentage of those who can actually make a whole life out of their art is very small. I mean, most likely, we're going to need some other income stream or a side hustle, to use the, the newest term, to make up the lack. Um, this is kind of where I'm at at this point in my life. I have to do other things in order to pay the bills. But then there are others, and we can be honest here, who maybe have other hopes and dreams, um, and some may say, I am doing this because I, I want to be famous. I want to, I want to make a lot of money doing this. I want to have a bestseller. I want, I want my art to be auctioned off for millions of dollars. I I want a play that I write to be used on the Broadway stage, whatever that is. Um, They want to be that smallest sliver of the population who not only make a living from being creative, but make a huge living and uh, are seen as artistic influencers. Now, again, I'm, I'm not going to judge here because clearly the Lord does bring a select few to places of influence and gives them a, a large public platform. And I'm talking about believers now. Um, but most of us who desire this probably don't have our motives in the right place. Um, and I know that sounds really harsh, but uh, fame so often falls under the category of be careful what you wish for. I remember one day I was 
Uh, I have a loft here in, in my apartment, and this is where I record podcasts, and it's also my workspace. And I was, um, I think I was heading down the stairs from my loft back to my apartment. And suddenly the Holy Spirit just, wow, it was not an audible voice, but woof, you'd have thought so. And this thought just completely crushed my mind. And he asked me, so Matt, are you okay if you never have a bestseller? And I, I tell you, I just stopped midway on the staircase. And I thought, I don't know. Am I okay with that? And and there's nothing wrong with wanting what we do to be seen uh, and appreciated by lots of people. Again, as long as our motives are correct. If it's if it's just to enrich ourselves and glorify ourselves, then no, that's that's really not what we're after. And sometimes we need questions like that. I think the Holy Spirit was saying, Matt, what are you making here? Are you are you making something for you? Because uh, this is what you think happiness is? Or can you just be okay with using this and doing this and hardly anybody knowing who you are? I had to come to grips with what am I making? Am I glorifying God or am I enriching myself? Do I want to be famous or am I okay with simply being faithful? There are lots of famous people out there, and I've, I've heard a number of them say this. Almost all of them regret their fame because of the changes it brought to their life that they never, they never saw coming. And maybe that's why the Lord wants us to ask that question. In Genesis 11, we have one of really the great early Bible stories. Verse 1 says, at one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. So we can see the motivation of the people here in Genesis 11. They were building this city quote, for ourselves. And then the tower they were building would, again, quote, make us famous. God was nowhere in the equation. Now, we Christians, you know, privately, we know in the depths of our heart, we want money, we want fame. 
uh, those of us in this category, I mean, and we can rationalize and say, no, I just, uh, I would use that fame to bring a much bigger, you know, platform and more people to the Lord. But honestly, that's not the case. It, it seems like every few months, if you're a believer, you, you know this to be true. It seems like we, we hear something from a Christian celebrity, whether they're in a, uh, um, a music group, like a Christian band, or they're even a preacher or an author. Uh, and suddenly we have a Christian celebrity who decides that he would rather be a celebrity than a Christian. And they renounce their faith in Christ. Boy, fame is a dangerous siren that really can take away far more than it gives. And we find out this is what, this is what they were making. They were making themselves famous. They were doing this for themselves. Because what happens when the success comes? We believe we're the source of the success. By the way, almost everybody I've ever known who has walked away from Christianity did so when times were going great. It wasn't in response to a tragedy or an adversity. It was when things were going well. And we realized that they were doing this for themselves. They were making themselves famous or rich or whatever it was. And they thought they were the source of their success. That's why we need to ask the question again, what are we making? Are we making art for the glory of God? And whatever comes of it, comes of it. Or are we making a tribute to ourselves in the hopes of riches and renown? I'm sure we would never admit it aloud, but if that's what we're making, God in his incredible love for us may thwart our plans because he knows ultimately what all of that will do to us. We will sever our relationship with the Lord. And so he might thwart us like he did with the, the folks in, ba in uh, Babylonia to keep us from accomplishing our mission because our mission will lead to our destruction. God knew if the people in Babel would keep going that it would draw them away from God. Believing they didn't need him, they, they could accomplish everything without his help. And the Lord had to remind them that every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the heavenly lights, not up from us to him, not up like a building from the ground up into the sky. Our help ultimately comes from the Lord. election votes is hard work. And as Americans, we're counting on you, poll workers, to get the job done right. But sometimes, that pressure can be quite intense. 1,684,234. Oh, now I have to start all over again. One, two... One potato, two potato, three potato, four. Ugh! Do 
doggone it! Let's say you're counting votes in a state like Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, or Nevada, hypothetically, and the numbers are getting just too big. What do you do? Alexa, count my votes. Come on, Alexa. Please? Ica bicka soda cracker, ica bicka boo. Ica bicka soda cracker, out goes you. Sure, back in 1948, we knew the results of the presidential election that evening. But math is a lot harder now, with all your social media and video gaming responsibilities. And carrying numbers like six or eight is too taxing on the human brain. Why are there so many papers? It's like they're taking over. We feel your pain. That's why we have created a new counting system for elections. We call it Vote Counter Plus. It's a small device that fits right in your pocket. Simply push the number buttons on the device and it can help you add, subtract, multiply, or divide. But what if I need to remember a number for later? Vote Counter Plus also features a button that remembers a result, so you can use it again. But where can I find this new technology? Go to the Vote Counter Plus website and order it now for $24.95. You can expedite shipping for an additional $19.95. Or you can look on your phone. Yeah, now that's totally a deal. You got that right. Get Vote Counter Plus today. Offer not available in Michigan. Vote Counter Plus. We keep your certified vote from becoming certifiable. I'm going to take one more angle on this question of what are we making, and I want to center it upon Christians, and then even more specifically with my pastor friends. What are we making? Because Christians of all ages are commissioned by Christ to make disciples of all nations. In other words, discipleship doesn't just happen. It's something that is made. Discipleship is relationship. It's investing ourselves into another, whether that's from a pastor or a teacher to, uh, or a mentor to an individual or a class or a church. We are putting ingredients. We are challenging them. We are hearing from them. We are doing whatever we can to train and to allow the Holy Spirit to do his sanctifying work in their lives so that they they are made into disciples who then can disciple someone else. So pastors, what are we making? And as I look across the landscape of the evangelical church, I don't see a lot of intentional discipleship happening. It seems like we're either building a brand or we're making an audience. We're not making disciples. 
And sometimes I look back at things that I thought were wise to do, but maybe have contributed to a lack of discipleship. I'll give you one example. Now when I go preaching anywhere, I'll usually start my message by saying that I'm going to be reading from this scripture, and I'll say, you know, whatever it is, Hebrews chapter 2 or something. And then I'll notice no one in the congregation doing anything. Now, I know technology has happened, but people aren't even grabbing their phones to go to the, uh, the Bible app or whatever they're using to find the scripture. I mean, they're just, because they know it's going to be on the screen. And that was one of those little innovations that, I don't know, 20 years ago, I started doing in my messages because I didn't want for anyone to feel left out. If, if someone like someone came in who wasn't churched and, you know, we start going through the Bible and they don't, they don't know anything about the Bible. So I thought, boy, let's put this on the screen. And so in, with that intention, Christians just stop bringing their Bibles altogether. And even more now, no one's even really um, using technology to do that. I'm, I'm so scared at our level of biblical illiteracy that's happening right now. And we find uh, no more whenever I, I speak to a young audience. I can no longer assume they know any Bible story, whether it's David and Goliath or Noah's Ark or Daniel in the lion's den or any of that stuff. You, you know you're going to have a lot of people in the room who've never heard it before. Now, I understand it's not all on us as pastors. Home is the primary place of Christian education. And we know that in a lot of homes, it's not happening. And what's happened uh, with a lot of our churches is we have reduced the amount of educational time and interface that they're getting with the Word of God. And they're walking into our room that's been set to a maximum mood with, you know, great ambient music and lighting and, and all that stuff. And we've gotten so into giving them an experience that I'm not sure what we're making. I think we're just making audience members. So often when, even when the, when the band is, is leading a congregation in worship, I'll just kind of scan the audience and I'll see maybe, maybe a third of the people even moving their mouth to sing. It's like they've walked into a cinema. Remember when we used to do that? <laughs> it's like they've walked into this theater and they're just kind of watching everything that happens and somehow believing that this makes them better. I mean, really, that's the equivalent of me walking into Planet Fitness and sitting on a weight bench for an hour and a half and just saying, whew, that was an amazing workout. What are we making? Are we making disciples? Do people know the Word of God? Do they know doctrine? Do they know the theology behind the worship songs that we choose to sing? Are they growing are they sharing uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people? Or do they think they have to bring them to our experience for that to happen? I know it's tough out there. And unfortunately, the church has become a business. And now 
there is competition for people in the seats. And sometimes we feel like we have to have the better show. But all I would ask is, what are we making? Are we really making disciples here? Or are we just building a brand? Are we just trying to be famous? Are we trying to make our church into the thing? Look, I realize the world in which we live, if, if you and I make this decision that we're going to make disciples, it'll probably change some things. It'll probably change the way that we preach. It'll change the way that we offer programs and other, uh, other avenues of, of learning and growth. And we may, we may sacrifice some of the inspirational for more instructional. That's, I'll just use a secular phrase. That's not very sexy. That doesn't, that doesn't look great on, on social media. That doesn't look good on Instagram. But we know that's not the point. Because we're trying to make something. I remember as a youth pastor... I always had a, an overarching mission in everything I did as a youth pastor. I would look at these kids that were 12 or 15 or 17. And my question wasn't, how many people can I get in here? The question was, what are they going to be like when they're 30 or 40? What am I making? Am I making little minions that just come to watch me do my show and laugh at my jokes? Or are we intentionally putting principles and giving them the thick sirloin of God's word so that they grow and mature? so that they make good decisions when they decide to get married. So they decide they're going to disciple their children. So that they decide to glorify God in their career and in their finances. What are we doing right now that intentionally makes that happen? And you know, it's probably going to mean you're not going to have the biggest thing in town. But are we trying to be famous? Are we doing this for ourselves? Or are we really doing this for the kingdom? Are we really doing this for his glory and fame and not ours? Because I would want to know that the people that I'm investing in right now, 10, 20, 30 years down the road, are still going to be living for Jesus. And not just nominally, I mean, with their heart and soul, living for him. And then implementing those same things to their children. We keep thinking that disciples are made in a microwave but it's more of a crock pot situation. 
There's a lot of marination that needs to go on in the kingdom. I pray, Pastor, that we're not trying to build towers with our name on it or our face all over it. Because someday our name and our face will be gone, and then what will they do? If you have become their source for inspiration, you better sidestep that thing real quick because you're doing it wrong. We do not need their applause. We need God's applause. I'm not saying being intentionally uh, cutthroat or legalistic, or I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm just saying, let's try so hard not to be the figurehead. Let's try not to be an idol. Let's put it that way. Can we just make Jesus the centerpiece again? Can we really preach from the Word of God without having to apologize for it or turn it into some kind of a rewrapped positive thinking seminar? What are we making, pastors? And yeah, maybe, maybe you'll never have the notice of your community or even the higher-ups of your denomination, but you will have God's attention because you're making something. And I pray that what you make, and again, there's only so much you can do because people make their own choices, but that what you have instilled into people, we know that investment will not be lost. We just trust in that. And that even if they're far off now, that they will come back because of what we have intentionally tried to make. Play the long game, Pastor. Shortcuts are easy. Play the long game. Because ultimately, we need to care what happens when they're not at our church anymore. Well, I want to thank you for being a part of the Madcast today. Our theme music is by Sound of Fusion. We hope to see you again soon. This has been a production of Monumental Ministries. For more information on our books and resources, go to mattministry.com. Hey, thanks for having me over. I had a wonderful time. Thank you.